A quick hello and we're good to go. Welcome to the show, Christine McKay. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I know you've watched a few episodes, so you actually knew about the song. Yeah. Shaina last week was completely shocked. She was so shocked. <laughs> I watched that. It was like she was just blown away. <laughs> but, but interesting enough, it's difficult to imagine. I mean, now, like a year and a half later, the first time I did that, I did it face to face with a guy called Anders Hjort. Ah. And it was, he had no idea. And it was so difficult for me to pluck up the courage to actually do it because it's actually quite difficult to do when you, you're not sure it's going to work. You don't know what the reaction is going to sure. be. And then he went around the entire conference and told everybody else what was going to happen. So it ruined <laughs> the surprise. So, Anders Short, if you're listening, shame on you. <laughs> well, I always like to listen to a couple of episodes or at least part of them before I get on somebody's show. So, I. Right. So, I you now know what's about to come, and that's the Your I Brand Cert. do. I'm very excited about this because I imagine it'd be total garbage, but because uh, I haven't done a very good job of it because I'm fairly new in what I'm doing. So. I'm very right. Well, you've actually done a decent job of it. If we can show the brand soap, the first one, I actually searched for your name in LA. I didn't go to LA. I pretended to be in LA and Google thought <laughs> I was in LA. And you come up number one with your LinkedIn profile, which is pretty good going already, because if you look underneath, there are a hundred plus Christine McKay's mm -hmm. in the world. So your competition, your name is incredibly ambiguous. So that's already pretty good. But then I searched for it in Paris. And if we show the next screen... <laughs> Oh, no, sorry, but I looked at your images. Mm -hmm. Now, this is really interesting. I mean, obviously, there are three others, but you're mm -hmm. still dominating. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the little round kind of buttons, Venn Negotiation, Negotiation Strategist, Vice President, Global Reputation, Negotiation, sorry, mm -hmm. those are all entities. That means that Google's understood you to a certain extent as an entity. So you have at least a year ahead uh, sorry, uh, advance on everybody else called Christine McKay. So if I were you, I would get working now because there is another Christine McKay hot on your heels in Paris. When you search in Paris, you get a result about a writer. So there is a writer who is somewhere who isn't American mm, because okay. if she was American, she would appear in the American results. Right. This is Paris. So I'm assuming she's probably British. And that's uh, if we can take that screen away now and go back to the normal screen, that shows how much uh, your results for your name will depend on the geolocation and mm. the probability that somebody is searching for this Christine McKay or the one who wrote the book and somebody in the UK is unlikely to be searching for you and somebody in the US is unlikely to be searching for her, which okay. is wonderful insight that we got today thanks to Christine McKay, victim Another victim of my evil experiments. I love this experiment. I think it's fantastic because it's not something that I, as I've built, as I've started building my business, it's, I've not focused on doing on SEO or SERP. And so I, I, I really think what you're doing is fantastic. I love oh, it. Oh, thank you. Oh, you're such a charmer. But <laughs> what actually comes up when somebody searches your business name or your personal name is phenomenally important from many, many um, aspects. And look it up if, if the audience out there don't know much about it. Brand SERP, S-E-R-P. Look it up. I talk about it all the time and I'm pretty mm -hmm. boring about it. But what's interesting is I've been doing this for seven years and I still haven't got even close to the end of it. It's much, much more interesting, much, much more complex than you would think, as I've just proved with Christine McKay's name. Yeah. But we're not here to talk about that. We're talking about 
negotiation. Yes. Now, you said negotiation to me, and my immediate reaction is, I don't want her on the show because we'll be talking about money. Um, <laughs> and um, I've noticed on YouTube, when I say money, the audience drops off. Mm -hmm. So no more money. You're saying it depends uh, how you ask. It depends on how you ask. Yes, it does. I often say that money, actually, I just had this conversation with somebody a short time ago. Don't you have this conversation every single day? Well, I do, talk? I do. But this particular part of the conversation about money, because a lot of times, because you're right, a lot of people, when they think about negotiation, all they think about is price. And for me, price is generally an output of a negotiation, not right. input. And the reason is because some of the things that you were just talking about. So when you do a search on somebody, right, and you get all that wealth of hopefully right and correct information, right, you want to be able to use that because part of what negotiation is about is building that relationship. And you do that by understanding the people that you're engaging with. And people in research is all over the world has shown that even for large corporations, people don't buy on price. It's not the number one thing or the number one reason why people buy. They buy because of the relationship they have with you. They buy because of quality and you know, serviceability and a number of other things. And in fact, um, there's an international organization called the Institute for Supply Management that did a study. And, and if you have an existing customer, you can sometimes get away with raising your price as much as 40% without mm -hmm. having to lose the customer. Because once you have that customer, they want to stay with you. They don't want to lose right. you. So when you oh, make oh, sorry, hey, no. Number one, my client's going to hate me tomorrow. Um, number two is I've actually tried raising my prices to get rid of clients because I don't want to work with them anymore. And I think if I push my price up, they'll they'll go away. No. Nope. And they don't. <laughs> no. Nope. And it's really frustrating. You got to raise it more than 40%. Then if then it then it might happen. So now anybody, so now anybody who gets a call from Jason tomorrow raising your price 40%, you know what the message is. Well, if it's 40%, it's that I want to keep working with them. And if it's 45%, I want them to leave. Exactly. Brilliant. Okay, wonderful. Um and so kind of like the idea about price. I mean, what what I just heard from you is if I know the person opposite me better. Mm -hmm. I can start asking the right questions and start moving towards. I mean, it's a relationship, isn't it? We're looking mm -hmm. to negotiate a relationship, mm -hmm. and part of that relationship is money, but it's only part of it. Is that fair assessment? Absolutely. Matter of fact, I actually say all the time that negotiation is nothing more than a conversation about a relationship, Ooh. and there is no win in relationship, right? When So I've been very fortunate and blessed to have, be married to my amazing husband for 27 years. And the, the proverbial contract that we entered into when we got married is not entirely the same contract that we have today because we've changed and we've matured and we're not the same people that we were almost three decades ago. And so when we are in business, though, we often expect to treat our business relationships as if they've stayed static, that they've remained the same. And when you make price the driving component mm. of a negotiation, it reinforces this output base, this outcome-based structure that doesn't allow for the 
for all the parties involved to grow and mature as organizations, which is yeah. what you really kind of are hoping you're going to do if you get into business with each other anyway, is that you're going to grow together. You're, there's something, oh. a promise of a future that's better together than not. Which means to say over time, A, your, your role uh, or your relationship will evolve, but also the pricing could potentially change uh, because of, of, of what you're doing for them or what, what they're doing for you, whichever way around it's been negotiated. Absolutely. Um, and I, yeah, I think we, we forget that. We kind of think, oh, we get into this relationship with a, with a, a business relationship and it's just going to go on forever and it's going to be the same. Uh, brilliant stuff. Anyway, but back to negotiating. Yes, I like the fact that you talk about children, and we learned to negotiate when we were seven, which is I don't want to go to bed, mm -hmm. basically. Yeah. Um, and by putting your foot down and saying, I don't want to go to bed, you cannot go to bed um, if your parents are that way inclined. How do I mean, I don't remember how I negotiated at seven years old. I think I just got told what to do and went to bed because I was told to. So it is. So it's very interesting because we do learn when we're little how to get something from. I'm going to assume, and I know that this isn't the case for everybody, but I'm going to assume that we that most of the audience had both parents in the house, and grand and a grandparent or grandparents around, and family friends of their parents or parents. Right. Okay. Can I just make a point there? Yeah. Everybody in the audience except me. Okay. I didn't have any of that. I had one right. parent and that okay. was my lot. Uh, so right. I just did what I was told because otherwise it went horribly wrong, horribly quickly. But, but I'd be interested in what you had multiple adults in your life. So you had you had you had teachers, you had yes. so um but so what happens is is that when we want something as a child, we go to an adult and we ask for it, and we hear that horrible word that is a full stop sentence. No, right? And it's short in every language. <laughs> it's a short word in every language. And it always um, has a full stop after it when you it say is, it like that. It is a that. full stop. <laughs> and so what happens then as a child is we go, am I going to live with that no? Am I willing to accept it? Or am I going to find somebody else to ask the same question or am I going to ask the same question, but in a different way? So you start testing to see what works with what type of person and what works most with mom versus a teacher versus a grandparent. And if you watch kids like go to ask a parent for something and then a grandparent's nearby, they'll ask it in a very, very different way. So what happens is, is that we get, we, we start seeing a pattern because we're kids and we're smart and we like, okay, we're gonna go with the law of probability here. We have more success if we ask this person in this way all the time. Right. So then we start defaulting to a style and because that style is getting us the greatest amount of the success as children. And the reality is, is that we often don't move beyond that style. So if a, if a kid is one of those kids who threw temper tantrums and jumped up and down and screamed and called people names, they probably still do that. Maybe not in exactly the same way, but they still do it. When something is not going their way in a negotiation, when they want something, they're not getting it the way they want it, the speed with which with, with which with they want it, et cetera, they throw a temper tantrum. Now, they might not 
you know, sit and throw things, though I have had grown men throw things at me. They may not call you names, though I have had people absolutely call me names. I mean, and so these behaviors, we tend to carry them with us. And one of the, what I think is the failings of negotiation for people who are teaching negotiation is they don't teach people how to negotiate differently beyond what that default style is that we've developed, even though we know how to do it, but we don't do it intentionally. What you've done is describe somebody who's terribly, terribly fixed in their ways and says, this is how we're going to do it. This is, I mean, you're saying the question, but I mean, for me, people like that don't even ask questions. They say, this is how it's going to be. And that's the end of it. And that is even, even negotiation. Uh, and, and the idea there is you're saying, okay, once I start opening up and trying to negotiate flexibility is incredibly important mm. and i'm i'm betting that the word after that is empathy for the person opposite yeah i and actually there's one of the other i'd also say effectiveness so Ooh. one of the challenges with negotiating is that we we ask ineffective questions and are not curious enough about our counterparts to be able to find creative solutions to, to common problems. And so we go into a negotiation, we, we have an idea of what we want. And mm -hmm. oftentimes, to be honest, the idea is not even robust enough. So there's more detail that you could drill down to and have an even deeper understanding of what we want. But very, very few times, and this is true across all the corporations that I've negotiated with, the individuals I've negotiated, it's kind of a universal thing. We don't spend enough time thinking about what, what we want means to our counterpart. Is it doable for our counterpart? Is it something that is going to be injurious to them in some way. Right. They take such a hit on profitability that it might cause them to go. To, we don't, we just don't think long-term enough. We get so focused on the short-term outcome that we fail to think about the long-term success of the relationship. Right. I mean, kind of one thing I have heard is, is going to a, a negotiation, knowing what your minimum, what your maximum is, or what you're willing to accept and what you're looking right. for. And you're going further is actually look the person up online, which comes back to the brand service yeah. discussion we had earlier on. Figure out who it is you've got opposite you, what their company is, what their needs are, what their desires are. Be empathetic towards them. Mm -hmm. Set your top and your bottom. Go in there and then discuss it with their needs in mind to find that common point where you're going to meet. Yes. At which point you can start talking about money. Is that about right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything like so research is huge. Understanding your counterpart is mandatory because the thing is, is that negotiation is a series of yeses. And the easiest way to get to start building a series of yeses is to look your counterpart up on LinkedIn and determine, is this somebody who likes more formal communication, who likes meetings, who likes emails who like likes emails or is this somebody who you want to shoot a text to with two or three bullet points who wants a 15 minute phone call not an hour and just understanding that like if i look at somebody's linkedin program profile and after their name it says mba cpa cfa mousc whatever acronym comes after the name i automatically MOUSC, I, I was thinking moose but it's not that is it <laughs> Um, that person I know is a more traditional communicator. If they've written their profile so that it's 
pretty all-encompassing of their background. They've got a little blurb about or a little piece about every position that they've had. If those are written in paragraphs, then I know that this is a, somebody who communicates in a more traditional fashion. I will, I will take more time to write a longer email. I'll set up an hour meeting with them. But if it's somebody who like has, you know, a, everything's in bullets or they might not have any descriptions of anything and just have a list of the companies. They have virtually nothing in their, you know, their introduction or their bio of who they are. It's just everything's short and, and sweet. Then I know I'm not going to waste my time writing an email. I'm going to fire off, you know, two or three bullets, bang, bang, bang. And I'll set up a 10 to 15 minute meeting to say, Hey, um, you know, this is an introductory call. You know, I don't need to, you know, I'm essentially saying, I know you don't want to share your life story with me, so I'm not going to expect you to, but it's something so simple, but so many times people don't take the, put the energy behind researching their counterpart and not doing that. Disaster. Yeah, sorry. If, if you research them, then you know how to approach them. And if you're empathetic to how they've presented yeah, themselves, absolutely. you can immediately approach them in a way that's going to appeal to them. Does mm-hmm. that ex- extend on to just charming them and just saying what you know they want to hear or you think you know you want they want to hear? So as a negotiator, I mean, I can be charming, um, but I, I do not. I, saying something just because somebody wants to hear it doesn't move me forward in a negotiation. Uh, If it's incongruous with what I need or want in, in the negotiation. So my negotiation style is I'm very transparent. I'm also Mm -hmm. very matter of fact, right? If I am in a negotiation with somebody and it's, and I'm, it's a new, it's a new deal for me, right? If the deal falls apart, that's okay. Because it might not be the right deal right now at this point in time, right? It, it may be of the right deal at a later point in time. I'd rather know that now than enter into a relationship that ends up being disastrous for both of us because it's going to cost us both more time, money, and heartache at the yeah. later in time. Let's just figure it out right now. And if it if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. It goes back to negotiations, nothing more than a conversation about a relationship. And that's right. all. And sorry, and let's imagine that I'm the needy person in this relationship. Uh, Isn't that a big problem? I'm in an incredibly weak position where I need this relationship or I need this business deal. Um, I'm negotiating from a point of view where actually my my bottom line is or the the, the bottom acceptable limit is so low that I don't don't really have anything to say. It's not really a conversation. I'm just going to get bullied. Is there any way to prevent being bullied in that situation where you're the needy party? Yes. Yeah, so the number one thing is to make sure you have options. So the, that that's that's a big thing. It, first of all, there are always options. It, I mean, 99% of the time there are options. So when somebody says to me, I have to do this deal, I'm like, you, you've already you've already acknowledged that you're going to roll over and accept things that you would not under other circumstances accept. They're kind of when somebody's in a in a position where they feel that they don't have very much leverage or any leverage at all. A lot of times, those people can be really obnoxious, and they can be the ones bullying. So, if you're feeling that you're being bullied by somebody, take a step back and go, "Am I really in a weak position here, or 
are they in a weaker position and they're acting and reacting out of that weakness in an attempt to be controlling. And so that that's actually a huge indicator to me that somebody doesn't have very much leverage because right. they start being bullies. Okay, unless they're just naturally a bully, in which case they're always going to be like that, and you don't want to work with yeah, them anyway. So right, so about ten. So there's research out of Cornell University that talks about different negotiation styles, and about ten percent of negotiators are this bully. We call them at Venn Negotiation. We call them champions. They're champions for themselves. They care about they care about not losing more than they care about winning. Right. Okay. They care about not losing more than they care about winning, which means that they will do anything to not lose. And so those those people are naturally bullies. And I tell my clients there are a lot more nice people in the world than there are bullies, and you don't need to do business with bullies. No. Okay. Sorry. To, to, just to cut in. Yeah. I, I really like the figure of 10%. There are 10% of yeah. bullies, 90% of reasonable people with whom you can discuss, don't waste your time talking to a bully. Mm -hmm. They're just going to try and bully you and walk away because there are other options, which is a lovely kind of conclusion to that particular part of the conversation because I've got other bits of conversation yeah. now. Uh, I've, I, I played chess when I was a kid, and I just mm -hmm. started playing again, and I was just thinking – is there any real point in me thinking ahead to what the person might do in the future if I say this or I say that, trying to predict what they're going to reply? Is there any point in that strategic approach, that guesswork approach to the future? I find there to be. And part of that is because if I if if I want something out of the negotiation and I anticipate and I, I start thinking about what's what does it, what's, what do I know about this company? What do I know about this person? Because at the end of the day, you're always negotiating with a human being, mm -hmm. um, at least right now. Um, that's, that's changing. Uh -oh, that's um, another topic. Yes. That's another topic. Um, but the reality is, is that if I can anticipate and have a hypothesis about what can work or not work with my counterpart, it allows me to ask questions in a different way that gives me the ability to discover what they actually do need and want and how I can give them that while still being successful at the same time. So great negotiators are people who think they're like, this is what I'm negotiating, this ball, this circle, we'll call it a hundred, whatever a hundred is. And but the reality that's sorry that, that that message is because Anton loves chatbots. So he, he's thinking we're going to be negotiating with chatbots in the next few weeks. There is a lot of discussion around AI and negotiation right now. It's actually oh really yeah. Oh, so I'm, I, I'm being I'm being a bit obnoxious here. Oh no, in fact, no, it's a serious it's topic. Huge topic. It's a huge topic right now in I'm the so yeah in the contract management space. Um, AI and machine learning and the impact on negotiation, definitely a big talk topic. Okay, I won't tell you. <laughs> no, 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 but I mean, really quickly there, because only one of my yep. questions, when you said, all right, I'm going to look somebody up on LinkedIn, I'm going to punch out this uh, either email or a quick message, yep. depending yep. on what kind of personality I've got. I've done my Sherlock Holmes investigation. I've understood, I've become empathetic. I've understood what this person wants. I'm going to ping them. The machine could do that much better than you can. Absolutely. So, we're, I mean, I was just thinking like this whole online negotiation thing is who's going to invent a chat bot 
that's just going to negotiate for us. And you give the chatbot the top and the bottom and say, go in there and negotiate with the other chatbot. Off we go. It, and it is it is it is interesting how machine learning is going to impact. I mean, uh, attorneys and barristers and um, are kind of it, it's a thing. It's like what what do you do now? One of the challenging things that um, becomes hard for AI to address is if you're selling something, you can be selling the same thing to 10 different people and have 10 wildly different negotiations because all 10 of those people of those companies, they're 10 in different individuals, they're 10 different companies, each of those people have different objectives and, and goals out of the negotiation, and each of those companies has different objectives and goals in the negotiation. So it'll be a while before a, a bot can do complex things um, because there's that mix of psychology anal and analytics as well as contracts. But there are definitely parts. I mean, attorneys have been using what's called e-discovery for years, using um, computers to go in and, and read that massive amounts of contracts to find common language in them. So oh, it's well, okay. Right. Okay. Right. And, and soon attorneys are not going to be chasing after ambulances. They're going to be sending the bots out onto LinkedIn, <laughs> um, which is the, the equivalent for the future, which is going to be really creepy. But I mean, in fact, I, from what you say, I, I could see, I mean, that, it, that was a joke, but in fact, that first step mm -hmm. made by bots to find the bullies and the champions and get rid of them, find the people with whom there might be common ground would be something that doesn't seem to me to be out of this particular world that we're living in today um no i mean i for we've developed a quiz that people can take to learn their default negotiation style and Ooh. so it, it's literally a matter of you know somebody could take that quiz or something similar to it and use it and apply it in a lot of different ways there's Ooh, that that sounds like uh, that sounds really interesting i'm, I'm into it. but can, to, to come back from the bot thing i mean that quiz can you tell me what my negotiation style is just from talking to me for 20 minutes uh no i can't ah okay is that is that because not negotiating so oh right okay you're not really i mean if we were it I, I've tried doing that before and I can tell pieces of things I'd say. So I'd put you, so we break things out on a, a very simplistic communication attributes of being either traditional or modern. I actually put you as more traditional than modern. Seriously? Yeah. That's because of the gray beard, isn't it? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and, and then I'd probably put you more of a, as a maverick, but I wouldn't put my, uh, so the, there are four different styles. And Wasn't one, maverick a, a TV detective? He was at one point, yeah. Very good, so I'll go with that. Thank yeah, you very that's, much. Man, that's way back. That's, that, that's the great beard talking, yeah. That one. <laughs> Sorry, I, I interrupted you. Please carry on. Yeah, no, no. So there, there are four different styles. So one is the champion, which we talked about already. One is the maverick. The majority of negotiators are mavericks, about 55%. Yeah. I call them my checklist negotiators. They have a list of things that they think that they want, and they negotiate one item at a time and they get really can get really surly when they don't get one of those items but if they look across it and they say oh I got eight out of ten yay I, I, I did good they don't pay attention to whether the two that they didn't get added the most value or not 
because they're just going down this checklist. And they also get, they can, I call it majoring in minors. So they will. Wow, that's very musical. It is, yes. So that, or baseball, depending, I guess. Um, Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, it's musical too. But they focus, they make big things out of absolutely nothing. And they give everything equal weight. And so, um, but most people are mavericks. And it's kind of, so when I'm meeting somebody, I pretty much assume everybody is a maverick because probability wise, they are. Um, the third style is a benefactor. They're the exact opposite of the champion. They think that they care very much about relationship. And so they think that everything they're doing is about preserving relationship. The problem for a benefactor is that they're very conflict avoidant. And so they have a very hard time saying no. They agree to things that they cannot deliver and cannot do. And so the thing that they think they care the most about, which is relationship, actually ends up being the thing that they screw up the most because they can't deliver. And they also, because they are conflict avoidant, they often feel that they get taken advantage of in the negotiation, which can result in them being very passive aggressive in their negotiation styles. Um, and so, oh, I, yeah, okay. Yep. Uh, and what's yeah. the fourth one? I'm curious. And the, fourth one, the fourth one is called an ambassador and an ambassador is very much, they like to make the negotiation very complex. They're always looking for ways to add more value, create more value, bring more value into things. They can be slow in the negotiation process because they're trying to create more value all the time for everything. And they can, um, they can be very frustrating for the other, um, the other styles because there's, they're they're like, there's always gotta be more. There's always gotta be something more. Um, but every one of the styles has different places like a champion. If I'm buying a, if I'm, if I'm buying something and I'm haggling for it, I'm at a, a market or, you know, or something simple. Um, then I don't care. Then a haggle is a good thing. If all I care is about price and getting that one thing at the best price, then I, I might want somebody, somebody who's a champion, or I want to use that part of my style more. If I'm a maverick and it's not hugely important, it's not very complex, and it's a short list of things that I want, then I might want to be a maverick. If it's I'm dealing with a relationship that's completely broken. I want to pull on my benefactor side and my style more as I'm building and rebuilding that relationship. And, but as an ambassador and I am an ambassador. So as an ambassador, I'm really trying to figure out what is the optimal solution. And I love complex negotiation as a result. Um, But I mean, about all four of them. Yeah, what you're saying is, as a great negotiator, you look at the person opposite, and you and you look at what kind of person they're going to be, and you can adapt accordingly. Um, but I mean, I think also it's like any kind of personality test is you can't stick yourself entirely into one. There are aspects of the other ones that always come into play. I'll take it even a step further. So. Ooh depending on the issue. So I could be negotiating with a person, right? And that person's default style, maybe we'll just say they're a maverick. That's their default style. I don't necessarily adapt my negotiation style based on the person, but I also negotiate it based on what I'm negotiating for. So I may have something that is absolutely non-negotiable. 
right? I will take a different position and use a different style to negotiate for the non-negotiable. And maybe that my counterpart, maybe we're not at a stage of our discussion where I'm disclosing that that's a non-negotiable at that point in time, which would be unusual because I'm pretty transparent about non-negotiables. But let's just say that I need to play that out for a reason. Um, and I might, I might take, I might take much more of a maverick style um, in that situation because it's, you know, it's just no. I mean, it's uh, no different than, um, you know, somebody said to me once, I want an 80% discount. And I responded and I said, no. That's it. That was the end. Just like the, 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 the parents or the grandparents or the teachers. Exactly. It's the no with the full stop. Right. But- a lot of that sounds like poker. Um, would a, I mean? I mean, a poker player is going to kind of have these kind of styles. I mean, I, I didn't. I'm not an expert poker player, but that made me think of poker. Is that a fair kind of co- correspondence? Because I mean, it's it's not like chess because in chess all your cards are on the table, uh, so, whereas in poker you've got these hidden cards and you choose when you're going to show them. Let's. So I think it's, I think that it's hard to put it into, I mean, people have been trying to put a box around it to make, to gamify it forever, whether it's poker or chess or, you know, people, heck people put game theory to it. So it, and it goes back to what my view is that it's just a conversation about your relationship. I've forgotten about that. Yeah. And because the thing is, is that in any relationship, there's a give and take. And figuring out the points to give and the points to take at any any given point in time is part of the nature of being in a relationship, right? Now, some people want to call that a game, but I just call it humanity. It's like, it, and what we need, to, what we do naturally, what separates us from the rest of the animal kingdom is our ability to create and relate to each other and to have that give and take and that intellectual dialogue. And to me, that's what it is more than a poker game or more than a chess game. It's really. Uh, or win- yeah, winning and losing and money. It, it's, it's, it's the relationship you can build with somebody and the way that relationship uh, develops, which is an absolutely lovely way to finish it. In fact, just because that's brought us full circle back mm-hmm. to this idea of relationships that you started with, where I tried to gamify it. Complete mistake. I think you're right. I agree with you. I'm with you on the obvious. Obviously, you're right. You're the expert. What am I saying? Uh, <laughs> but that was absolutely wonderful. I've learned loads. Uh, one of which is I'm a TV detective from the 1970s uh, called Maverick. <laughs> I'm just going to quickly announce the rest of December. If we can show that slide, we've got yeah, we've got we've had Christine McKay on the left over there, and then we've got Dave Davis, Cindy Crumb, Stefan Spencer, and Melissa Fash. This is a very SEO. Uh, month after Christine, who started off with the negotiation. Uh, thank you very much, Christine. That was absolutely awesome. You get the song again. A quick goodbye to end the show. Thank you, Christine. Thank you very much for having me. It's an honor to be here. <laughs>